All right, thank you guys. Good seeing everyone this morning. If you're a guest here this morning with us, uh, in person or online, we're so grateful that you're here to be a part of our worship experience. And if you are a guest here this morning, I would love an opportunity to uh, meet you and greet you out in the foyer immediately after the message. I'll be standing out there. I'll make my way out to the foyer. And uh, I would love for you to come by. Just let me meet you and uh, and greet you, give you an appropriate uh, welcome. And also during the course of this service, uh, as I say, Every week, there is always this anticipation that that we have whenever we sing songs of worship and praise and adoration, as we give our prayers to the Father, as we proclaim His Word. It is through this that the Spirit of God works; it calls us to follow after Him. And so, if there's any way that we can come alongside you, uh, helping you to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, uh, maybe you are a follower of Christ already, uh, but you have a desire to be baptized like these we have seen this morning or to become a part of this church family. We'd love to be able to have a conversation with you. So I just hope that you would take the time to text FL Respond to the number we provide for you, 833-571-3475. Just text FL Respond to that number and we'll immediately follow up and get in touch with you and we'll look forward to that. I've been in a series on the book of James the past two weeks. This morning we're going to depart from that on this Easter morning and uh, we're going to look uh, specifically at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, which will be my, my focal passage Uh, this morning. Uh, And really that whole chapter deals with the resurrection of Christ, but we're going to focus in particular on verse 58. This past week, what is referred to often as the week of passion or the passion week, it brings to close, those that are of that tradition, it brings to close a season on the liturgical calendar that is known as Lent, a 40-day period that ends during the, the passion week. Uh, for those that follow the, the tradition of the liturgy, uh, Easter is celebrated for an additional six more weeks. And what is intriguing to me about the liturgical calendar is that after this six-week period of celebrating and observing the Easter event, it enters into a season that is known as ordinary time. And that's actually the largest block of time on the liturgical calendar, what is called ordinary time. It begins six weeks after Easter, and then it goes all the way to Christmas, to Advent. And then after Advent, there is another season that is referred to as ordinary time, from Advent to the start of Lent. And so when you look at the liturgical calendar, the two largest periods, the two largest seasons are called ordinary time. Now, I like that and I appreciate that because that is where faith is lived out in ordinary time, in ordinary life. We have done a pretty good job, whatever the tradition, we have done a pretty good job of bookending the life of Jesus, celebrating his birth, celebrating his resurrection. The real challenge, though, is is in ordinary time. Between those two bookends where we celebrate his birth and his resurrection, how do we celebrate faith every day? Well, that's the concern of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and the implications of the resurrection on the life that we live in ordinary time, in real time. Paul's a master in his writing. He has this uncanny ability, this gift to move from from the doctrinal to the practical, from from the expository 
to the example that we are to live out in the life of faith. Now, in the larger portion of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is not defending to the church at Corinth. He's not defending the resurrection of Christ per se. They, they do not question that. They believe in the, res, the bodily resurrection of Christ. The real issue that Paul is trying to address, and he's pointing out their inconsistency, while they believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ, they do not believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead that are in Christ. And so what Paul is doing is pointing out their inconsistency. It's just inconsistent for you to believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the grave, but then you cannot believe in the bodily resurrection of those who are dead in Christ. Listen to his logic if you go back to verse 12 and read through verse 24 there in, in chapter 15. Paul says, now, now here's his logic. Now, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ himself. Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that, that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. But the fact is, Paul says, but the fact is Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. And so what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth and what we should pick up, pick up on today is that the resurrection of Christ, Paul, this is his logic, the resurrection of Christ is not just a nice ending to what has so far just been a tragic story. That because of the resurrection, there are very real implications for you as believers, as, as followers of Christ, there are very real implications for you in the life that you live. There is very real practical application. Because of your faith in Christ Jesus, because you have faith that Jesus was raised from the dead, there are practical implications for the faith that you pursue on a daily basis. And so with one little verb, this inferential conjunction, therefore, in verse 58, Paul makes a transition based upon everything that he has said regarding the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Christ, the bodily resurrection of those who are dead in Christ at, at current state. By implication, therefore, based upon that, this is how your faith ought to look. 
First of all, he says that the faith that we reflect in our life should be a firm faith. That because of our belief in the resurrection of Christ, the result should be a firm faith in my life and in yours. It's here in the first clause of verse 58. He says, therefore, based upon everything that's been said, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, He wants us to view ourselves as being part of a communal people. We are a community of faith. But if we are collectively to have influence in our world, if we collectively are to be the church out in the world and our influence, this is what each one of us have to believe. This is what I individually must pursue. This is what I must embrace in my life if we collectively or to be a people of influence in our world. And Paul says it begins by having a firm faith. Your translation, some translations may have the word steadfast. And that's really a great word. Being firm, being steadfast. The origin of that word originally had to do with a seat. That is that that my faith is something that, that is seated in my life. This is something that, that, that offers stability. This is something, that, uh, this is something that, that is settled in my life once and for all. It is something that gives me stability and consistency. Consistency and stability in my presence, in my character, in my influence. My faith is something that that is seated once and for all. And when I pursue that kind of faith, when I have that understanding of the life of faith, that it shapes me and and my understanding of my presence in the community in so doing this, in so having this faith that is firm and established, you know what the result is? When When we all have this settled and firm faith, we become a shaping presence in our community. Think about that. All of us that are here this morning who confess the name of Jesus, if this is what characterizes our faith, a faith that is firm, we walk out of this room and we go out into our respective worlds with this kind of conviction regarding my faith, that it is firm, that it is steadfast, that it is seated, that it is, that it is consistent, that it is, that it is stable. You're going to shape the community of which we're a part. You're going to show the world that we go out into, you're going to show the world that there is another way for life to be be lived. We are going to be, because of this kind of firm and settled faith, we're going to be a presence of hope in our community, shaping our community, the values of our community, what we hold dear as a people of God. About 25 years ago, I was in my former pastorate in Nederland, Texas, down in the Golden Triangle of of Texas. And early one morning as I was getting ready for for church, on a Sunday morning, I I received a phone call from a retired pastor in our our community. And he, he was out early that morning 
taking his daily five-mile walk. Every day I knew him, he, t- he walked five miles. It was just part of his routine. The reason he called me was he was so alarmed by what he had seen that morning. As he, as he was out walking, he said from a distance, he said, I heard cheers, I heard applauding. And he said, I was curious about this. And he said, I made my way over a few blocks. And he said, there at the baseball fields, our community baseball fields, he said there were, there were hundreds of children and parents. He said, Pastor, we've, we've had a long-standing agreement, gentlemen's agreement in our community that no organization, that, that no one would schedule any activities in our community until after the noon hour on Sunday. Pastor, what I would like for you to do I, of course, I always cringe when I hear that. I think, oh, great. What's coming next? I would like for you to write a letter on behalf of the Ministerial Alliance expressing your displeasure at this, reminding them of the tradition of our community. Well, I had three thoughts immediately come to mind. First of all, I had never even heard of a Ministerial Alliance. I didn't even know if we had one. Secondly, I certainly couldn't write a letter on behalf of a ministerial alliance if it did exist. I certainly couldn't just take it upon myself to send a letter on their behalf without their permission. The third thing was I felt a little bit like Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 12 where Paul said, what do I have to do with judging the world? Because the reality is Those individuals in our community, in every community, I mean, you you have individuals who take on these board positions. They get elected by by parents. If you you have children that are involved in in little league sports and all these these children's sports, you know, parents get together and they they elect a board. They, they, They elect people who organize all this. And Lord knows I didn't want that job. And so these are are people doing a noble thing, a service to our community, athletics for children. But they don't have the burden of discipling my children. That's not a burden I put on them. Those who take on that task, who are willing to be organizers, they have one job. They're trying to take all of these teams, and there are many, it's overwhelming, Their one task is to take all of these teams and to schedule them on a limited number of fields that are available within within a limited window of time. And if you've ever done that, it's a tough task. But they don't have the burden. They're just thinking about that one thing. This is what I was elected to do. This is how I'm going to try to organize it. Squeeze in all of these games on a limited number of fields and a limited amount of time. They don't have the responsibility of discipling my children. That little league board that I voted on in Nederland, Texas, I didn't impose upon them the responsibility of having a spiritually formative impact upon the life of my children. That's not what I was electing them to do. But I did know this, that if that If there was enough that really wanted that changed, oh, it could be done by those in the church. And I said that Sunday morning, that 
25 years ago, I said that Sunday morning to the congregation that was gathered. I said, most of you, I look around this room and most of you serve on those boards. And if this is really important to you, then what you can do at our annual organizing meeting, not in a way that's self-righteous, not in a way that's pompous or arrogant, but just in mass, it can't just be one, it has to be in mass. Someone taking the lead and saying, you know what, we've had a gentleman's agreement in our community. There's not going to be anything done after noon until after the noon hour on Sunday. I said, if it's really that important to you, then it will change. But it has to matter to you. And you say, well, Bobby, what's the big deal? Well, let's just throw out the fourth commandment. Let's pretend the fourth commandment doesn't, and that's kind of a dangerous thing to do, but let's throw out the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We'll set that aside. But as a parent, what do I want my children to see in my life? Is my faith going to be something I just give lip service to? Or is it going to be something that is firm? something that is seated, something that is settled. Do they see that kind of consistency in me? You say, well, Bobby, times are different. No, they're not. As parents, we can be intentional where they can participate in these things, even on Sunday, but still have a formative impact on their lives. When my son was playing tennis, when he was required, as the high school coach re- required them, he wanted, uh, he wanted those kids during the summer playing champ and super champ tournaments. So Patty took Hunter all over Timbuktu chasing these tournaments, these tennis tournaments, which played on Saturday and Sunday. But the one thing that was required, wherever you go, you've got to do your homework. You've got to find out who on Sunday morning has an early service. Because even though you're going to play on Sunday, you're going to be at that early service first. See, the tennis for us, that was incidental. I thought it was a wonderful opportunity to, to, for him to see in his parent that our faith is something that is firm, something that is settled, something that is consistently lived out in our life and pursued. Listen. The symbol of the church has always been the lamb and a dove and a fish. But it's never been a chameleon. It's never been a chameleon. It doesn't change. This is a faith that is settled once and for all. That's the resurrection life that we are to reflect in our life, a faith that is firm. Also, a faith that is immovable. Paul uses that word immovable there in that that continuing clause in verse verse 58. It's a word that's closely akin uh, to the word firm or, or steadfast. But in nuance, it is different in that that this kind of faith is something that, that is deeply entrenched in our life. To the point that that this faith that that is immovable, it it is deeply rooted. It it is something that has become the, the very DNA, the very fabric 
of who you are. And that was Paul's issue with the church at Corinth. They were a fickle people. There was, I don't think this is a word, but there was a fickleness about their so-called faith. It was superficial in nature. They had a faith that, uh, that, that just changed constantly depending upon their, their circumstances, changing their, their faith proposition for no reason. In fact, all they were really practicing was a kind of faith that was willing to accommodate the lifestyle that they wanted. And people are people of all ages. That's why Paul would say, if you really get the resurrection, if you really understand the implications of it, you're going to have this kind of faith that, that is immovable, that is entrenched, and, and that is a part of your DNA, regardless of circumstances. Probably one of the most vivid examples I've ever heard of this kind of fickleness, if you will, in the life of faith, a faith expression that accommodates based upon circumstances. There's a story I read some time ago. It was told by Dr. Don W. Buckley, a physician, had a family, a family practice in, in Pensacola, Florida. But he shared this account of a young co-ed that came in to, to see him. And uh, he, said she, he said she hopped up there on the table. He said she, was just, said she was just a bubbling presence. He said, boy, she was articulate. She was engaging. He said she's just, just the most winsome personality. And, and when he asked what she was there for, it, uh, what she was there for, it seemed that, that she was on her way to Nepal. He said, what in the world are you going to Nepal for? And she said, well, I, I, I'm going there and I'm going to visit mission hospitals. He said, that's a dangerous trip to take. Why do you want to do something like that? She said, it's my goal. I'm going to be a missionary. I know that God has called me to medical missions. And so I'm giving three months during my college experience. I'm going to go and, and I'm going to spend three months at three different medical mission hospitals. He said, boy, here's a budding missionary right here before me. That as he prepared to give her the inoculations for various diseases that she might be exposed to in that part of the world, he said, as part of the normal protocol, I asked her, do you have any known allergies or are you pregnant? He said, she looked up at me and started chuckling. She said, no, I couldn't possibly be pregnant. I had, a, I had a, an abortion last week. She said, my boyfriend said I could keep the baby, but you know, I had this trip coming up. And I didn't want to ruin this opportunity. Dr. Buckley said he was horrified then and he is no less horrified today when he reflects upon that answer. In the light of the resurrection, ours is not to be a superficial kind of faith that accommodates. Ours is a substantive faith that informs every arena, every facet of our lives. And Paul thus would continue that also because of this resurrection event, not only is our faith to be firm and immovable, but 
but it's also a faith that is driven. Paul uses the language here of always excelling in the work of the Lord. Your translations may use the word uh, abounding, abounding always in, in the work of the Lord. That is something that, that is fruitful. Because of my understanding of, of the resurrection and the power that has availed me as a result of the, of the resurrection, now then I'm doing all things as unto the Lord and not unto men. I understand that the resurrection is made available to me as a follower of Christ, this kind of, of boundless and endless power for doing his work. You say, well, Bobby, what is that work? It's everything. It's your work, it's your workplace, it's, it's you as a husband, as a wife, as a parent. Whatever it is we put our hand to, that is our work. You know, Paul would even say regarding this back in same chapter, verse 15, Paul said in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored, I worked even more than all of them. He's talking about all the other apostles. And Paul's not belittling them, but he says, but I labored, I worked even more than all of them, yet not me, but the grace of God with me. Paul understood the magnitude of what he had experienced. Paul understood the magnitude of Christ dwelling in him. And it has afforded me the opportunity, Paul said, to be an agent of change and influence. And he was, so can you. No less than Paul, as we'll see in a moment. When we rightly understand this resurrection, it gives to us a faith that is driven, a faith that desires to express itself in every arena and facet of life. You can do that where you are, wherever you are on, in any waking moment. Heard a humorous story. 1996, Atlanta Braves, game four, the Atlanta Braves were hosting the New York Yankees in the World Series. And of all people, there was Ted Turner, the owner of the Atlanta Braves, at the concession stand. And the man who told this story said it was kind of amusing to watch this, uh, to watch this owner. He said, you would have never known he was the owner of the team. He said he ordered a hot dog and he said it was humorous sitting there watching Ted Turner take out his wallet and carefully count out three $1 bills and put them up there on the counter for his hot dog. Like everyone else, Ted Turner took his hot dog and walked back here, back here to the condiments where those are on a, on a different table back here. And the man standing there, he said, as, as Ted Turner was putting mustard and relish and ketchup on his hot dog, he said, Ted Turner made the comment, you know, I didn't think I would ever see a day that a man would have to pay $3 for a hot dog. And the man standing there said, then why don't you do something about it? And he could have. And so can we. We are empowered in every circumstance in our life that we encounter to do something about our world. How often do we see things out here and we say, oh, the church ought to do something about that. You're the church. Each one of us are empowered to do something about our world. A final thing about this faith that we are to reflect in life not only is it to be a firm faith and an immovable faith and a driven faith, but also a convinced 
faith, knowing, Paul says, that final clause in verse 58, knowing, being convinced, knowing that your labor, your work, how you live and you approach your life every day, knowing that your work and your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Sounds very familiar to what Paul said back in verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain. You think Paul ever had a question in his mind? I wonder if all this is really making a difference. What Paul suffered, what Paul endured, we can go back and read through the book of Acts, everything that that Paul endured, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, imprisoned. You think Paul ever had a fleeting thought? I wonder if this really does make a difference. Of course he did. But Paul was convinced. And you and I are here because his work was not in vain. It was proved out through the generations. What Paul did, what Paul endured, what Paul stood for. We're here. As a result of that, his work, his labor was not in vain. And when you in your mind wonder, does my testimony really make a difference? Does my witness really, does me being on mission where my feet are, me seeking to be the presence of Christ wherever I am, does that really make a difference? The answer is yes, it does. And no less than the Apostle Paul himself. You can make a difference in real time, in original time, in ordinary time. When you embrace this understanding of the resurrection, that the power that 2,000 years ago worked in that grave to raise up the Son of Man, That same power is in you. And because of that, you are no longer dead in your trespasses and your sins. And not only that, not only are you not dead in your trespasses and sin, you are empowered to do a work and to be a presence that will not be in vain, that will influence in immeasurable ways the world in which you live on a daily basis, a story that will be told only in time and eternity. You are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins, but here's what happens to us. Satan works in your mind. Satan always works between our ears. That's the playground of the devil. That's where he does his work, is between our ears in our mind. And he is so fearful of the influence that you will have as a follower of Christ in this power that is in you. What he's going to try to do is to squelch that spirit. He, he wants to sow seeds of doubt in your mind. 
And he's going to, to whisper in your ear and he's going to remind you of your past. When you were alive in your trespasses and sin, he's going to remind you of that. He's going to remind you of your former life, your former failures, your past sins. He's going to ask that haunting question. When is the real you going to come back? Where is the real you? When is the old you going to come back. And when he does, here's your answer. Here is your response. Like the angel of the Lord, you say, he is not here. He is risen. Let's pray together. Our Father, how grateful we are for that promise and that reassurance that because of Christ Jesus and the reality of his resurrection, we are no longer dead in our trespasses and sin. And Father, I pray that this would not just be some fleeting, far-off belief in our mind, but that this kind of faith might reflect the kind of people that we are that we would reflect in our life, in ordinary time, a faith that is firm, that is immovable, that is driven, that is convinced, that we might be a shaping presence and influence in our community and in our respective worlds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs>